Hi and welcome to the latest Trending Tech podcast. My name is Jeremy Cowan and I'm co-founder of the websites iotnow.com, vanillaplus.com and the Evolving Enterprise. Now, here on the pod, we recently received some news about a global study done by the IEEE. For those who don't already know it, the IEEE is the world's largest technical professional organization dedicated to advancing technology for the benefit of humanity. Its publications and conferences are regularly quoted. Its technology standards are industry-wide standards. So when it speaks, we tend to sit up and take notice. And it's on the impact of technology in 2022 and beyond, and is a new survey of global tech leaders from the UK, US, China, India, and Brazil. So rather than write about it, we thought it would be great to hear more about it from Kevin Curran, IEEE Senior Member and Professor of Cybersecurity at the University of Ulster. I'm absolutely delighted to say he agreed. So, Kevin, welcome to the Trending Tech Podcast. Thanks, Jeremy. It's great to have you here. Now, as regular listeners will know, we have our interview section in the middle. But the first thing we want to do is have a look at some of the serious news that there is in the market at the moment. And we want to look at uh, the things that are causing headlines and ripples around technology in the broadest sense. Kevin, what have you seen in the news that really intrigued you? I follow all the cybersecurity stories closely. The one I've seen was the Globtiba botnet again. It's not that we don't have botnets before. Again, they're used for ransomware, they're used for spread malware, they're used for extortion, but this was a particularly sophisticated botnet. But what it does is it actually uses the blockchain. So, of course, most of these botnets can generate random IP addresses, which is kind of core to be able to remain under the radar as such. But this particular botnet actually dials into the blockchain so in the future, whenever they want to have new IP addresses, they just do transactions in the blockchain. And literally, it gives the IP addresses that they can use for further continuation of this botnet. So it's the first time we've seen um, botnet, which is chained to the blockchain. How do you think that's going to affect uh, the market as a whole? Ransomware is one of the biggest scourges at this moment. It's particularly devastating crime, really. And it pays for these criminals again. So there is no real solution to the problem of ransomware, apart from maybe, you know, legal processes as well, and jurisdictions are removed and countries come together. But there is always a problem with this because most of the malware again, most of the hacking we get comes from the East. It is that simple. These countries, again, just remain outside the laws. There's no extradition process for a lot of these hackers. So it's very, very difficult as such. But again, it just causes devastating. And the Irish health system is still trying to return to normal capacity after the ransomware attack, which happened about two months ago. So mm. we're seeing devastation across all types of industries. What impact has that had on the Irish healthcare system? It's it's kind of shocked them for core because, you know, I have friends in, that work in the health system and they're using paper for weeks and months. Now. Um, not an all system, but it just showed that really that a complete IT system again, especially healthcare systems, as you can imagine, you have everything from heart monitors to, you know, blood oxygen monitors again. And most of these are connected to the IT systems. And you have so many legacy systems again. Um, you know, you have third parties, you have hospitals which deal with pharmacies and supply chain and everything else. I mean, all that goes down because we've become so reliant on technology. Um, a number of years ago, when it wasn't to do with hacking, it was when the Visa network went down in the UK. 
um, for almost 24 hours. People were stuck without being able to get taxis, travel home, buy food because no one carries cash anymore. Really. Yeah. So we're seeing what happens when IT systems fail. And we really don't have failovers because no one expects it to happen. But um, again, in the future, I think a lot of people will have to buy notepad and pencils again to cope with IT systems failing through ransomware or just maybe um, technical failures somewhere along the way. But really, is you know, computers have been the most impressive tool that we have ever created as a human race, really. Mm. All the other things we've had, we've had impressive things like bicycles, motor cars, planes, all these things. But nothing has changed society the way that the computer has. Yeah, you're, you're so right. And in fact, somebody was pointing out to me that the IoT is in fact the biggest machine that man and woman has ever created. So yes, it, it is to be seen as such. The story that caught my eye, Kevin, was something else related to healthcare. The other day, Lynx MD, the healthcare AI platform for real-world clinical and operational data collaboration, announced that it's raised $12 million. That's 10 plus million euros in seed financing. Now, the size of that financing is not particularly earth shattering. That's not perhaps the story in itself. But real world data is absolutely critical to drive innovation and improve care in the healthcare industry. But of course, there are throughout this security hurdles and privacy concerns that we need to be aware of. And additionally, for research organizations, accessing data is one of the main bottlenecks in innovation cycles. It can take months to gain access to the required quality data sets. So I was interested in the report on uh, the evolving enterprise, which is the EE.ai, where Lynx claims to have solved these challenges by making scalable data access and rapid innovation cycles actually a reality for the first time in the industry. In what they're calling a secure sandboxed environment, Lynx enables users to access really massive amounts of real-world medical data and facilitates decisions using data science and AI. Clearly, Kevin, this has been a problem for a while for the industry. We are not very far away times of ransomware from uh, going back to pen and paper, but when we are able to use IT to its full, clearly this is going to be an advantage. What was your take on this? Yes, we've seen the artificial intelligence make stunning breakthroughs in, in so many areas of um, of business, really. Um, so, of course, in medicine, because it can have, you know, it may be improved patient outcomes, it might speed up things, it might discover, you know, there's so much you can do, because really, machine learning, when it comes to it, is pattern matching. If we have access to a lot of healthcare data and profiles again, um, you know, we could see things and trends that maybe were not possible without that. A machine can crunch away numbers and see patterns that no human might see again. So, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of breakthroughs where things were just discovered because machine machine learning algorithms were run on particular systems. But of course, there's always a danger. But most data scientists understand the risks. And, you know, I've worked with many doctors on healthcare projects, data science. We have a large team here in our university. And they're pretty good at stats, understanding, you know, correlation. And because you can make wrong inferences about any aspect of whatever. You have to understand the data as well. But that's what data scientists do. They people who understand the actual raw data and then they let the machine, you know, whatever algorithms go, go loose on that there. So, yeah, I mean, it, it should have a major outcome in the future for us. What I find particularly encouraging about this is, you know, AI is now clearly playing a role in enabling 
companies of all sizes, whether they're enterprises or SMEs, to deploy this kind of technology and not to take months or years about it, but to do it in days, even weeks. The the one-stop shop platform uh, says that a full AI development workbench can be deployed in days. And it doesn't take huge customer IT resources to do it. So uh, I find that enormously encouraging to you. It is. I mean, you know, that's what we need frameworks, really, tools to put into the hands of people who are not, you know, don't have a PhD in data science or, or statisticians as well. And that's crucial, really. What we need is tools and frameworks which enable ordinary people you know, with some background, again, computer science or stats, to be able to make use of these tools again. And that's very important. I mean, that's what we see with development frameworks and IDEs and how people code. And, you know, these tools are very important. Mm. So, again, any frameworks which help either medical people, again, who are not necessarily trained in data science to be able to look at patterns in data, that's, that's welcome. Yeah, hugely welcome. Kevin, one of the reasons we uh, wanted to get you on this pod uh, was to be able to ask you about the survey. So let's turn to that, because this is a survey of big hitters and uh, not a few of them, you know, technology leaders in five countries. Um, As I say, we don't post many stories about predictions on our sites for the year ahead, because so often they're just one person's view. But Clearly, the IEEE has gone many steps further than that by producing a global survey on the impact of technology. Can you tell us a little bit about who you spoke to and what you learned from it? Okay, the study included 350 chief technology officers, chief information officers, and IT directors, and again, was covering the most important technologies in 2022 and the industries most impacted by technology in the year ahead. Again, so of course, what we found, the most important technologies um, innovation, sustainability in the future. Again, so what we found was one in five said that AI and machine learning, um, cloud computing and 5G would be the most important technologies next year. But of course, also because of the global pandemic, um, these leaders surveyed said that they accelerated adoption of cloud compute by 60%, AI and machine learning 51%, and 5G 46%. I find that extraordinary. Um, that's quite significant figures. It's perhaps not surprising that because of the pandemic, tech leaders said that their use of cloud computing grew in yeah. 2021, um, and as did AI and machine learning 5G. How exactly do they expect to use these technologies in 22? One of the markers which has really increased, and whether the pandemic speeded up is cloud computing, that everything is moving to the cloud, really. Again, every single platform, very few people have in-house now, even private clouds again. So the cloud market is really taken off again. And of course, you know, there's there's parts of that which help. The pandemic took IT officers by surprise again. Before that, they had their, as much as they could, they had the desktops nailed down, the software was all on their tablets yeah. were managed. And all of a sudden the pandemic comes and people are using their sons and daughters' laptops and whatever <laughs> else they have. And again, this, and in some industries, there's critical information on these again. They're logging in on browsers to a portal where we might have sensitive financial information or medical data, whatever else, but people did whatever they could to survive. But one thing for sure is um, the cloud is is here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a fact in telemedicine, in remote learning, in day-to-day communications. Uh, uh, and it seems to have affected everybody that these sort of uh, technologies are now in, in further use. Um, so how do you think CIOs and CTOs are going to build strong cybersecurity in such a 
challenging environment for a hybrid workforce of remote and in-office workers. I mean, this is clearly viewed by those surveyed as massively challenging. It is. And there was a framework coming out um, from Google a few years ago, the zero trust framework, really, the zero trust architectures. And that is where you just presume every connection has to authenticate and authorize again. You just presume that everyone has to at every step. It was a framework that was dreamed of prior to the pandemic, but because Google, like a lot of large organizations, had noticed that that really the traditional kind of network model didn't really work because they had offices all around the world. They had um, people on the move. They had um, different hybrid systems. again. So they, they realized that we need a zero trust architecture as well. So that is one thing that CTOs can do or CTOs as well. But with that, again, again, depends on the framework you're going to use. Are you going to use Amazon? Are you going to use Microsoft? Are you going to use Oracle Cloud or whatever? You know, the, there's offerings from a lot of these people, you know, Alibaba, Tencent. There are, you know, all these people, these companies control the cloud market. But again, so the tools are there. But again, you've got to be upscaled. You've got to understand the actual cloud platform you're using. Again, you've got to know the primitives. You've got to know which is, um, what are the settings. Again, the, the default is always the, the enemy of um, cybersecurity and master. Um, so again, you just got to make sure that you have a, a, a solid cloud environment with all the parameters taken and you understand again about all the other aspects that you have to um, guard. And it's become really, really complicated again, even even the cost model. What you find at cloud conferences have been to the best attended sessions have been about cost and uh, yeah. been about managing costs because it is a different paradigm. You have servers here and you got packet requests and you're trying to work out, you know, how can I save money here, especially if you've got a large organization. So it is just uh, something that we didn't have. There was no such equivalent thing 10 years ago, really, 20, where you had this price in architecture. Generally, you bought your servers, you installed them, you put enough hard disk of RAM in and you, you were normally run out of memory. But there was really no cost apart from the electricity. But when a cloud model, again, um, with the scalability and the way it's, it's pricing everything, you know, a lot of companies actually just hire people to reduce their costs on these cloud platforms. Yeah, which is uh, a solution, but perhaps not a, a viable long-term solution. I mean, one of the things that really has struck me uh, throughout this year, and perhaps it's because I've got um, young of this age who are going through the recruitment process at the moment, is how technology companies are struggling to bring in new talent why they're using uh, AI and how they're using AI to uh, employ new people, but also how they're actually coping with situations that you've already alluded to, where many of us have been forced to be working from home using devices. You know, the, the Fisher-Price laptop might be uh, slightly the joke extreme, but it's actually a serious problem. You know, bring your own device into a high-tech environment is another aspect of the same thing. So recruitment and um, equipment of new staff is is a massive issue was this touched on in your survey there was surveyed seen that um it was challenging to um, to hire to recruit um and we're seeing that especially in the uk especially after brexit um it's it just doesn't help you know we have such some um, strict border controls here as well but it really is difficult in technology because you know apart from probably the health system the, the one area that has always recruited people from overseas from bangladesh from india from china whatever it has been the tech sector mm. um you know and um, this has become much more difficult now with brexit again so again the hardest areas to recruit in are cloud um, um cyber security and data science of course you know there's 
last year, but I've read, read reports that Stanford data science graduates were being offered $250,000 as starting salary because there's such a demand for data science, um, especially now with the rise of AI and cloud and everything else. So it's just become a more powerful, but it is difficult. I mean, I, I, I'm a co-founder of a company. We just raised um, $3 million, um, a few months ago. And we had 21 people working for us, but some of these people we have in Sweden, we have um, in Brazil, we have in different places because of the visa problems at the moment. And yeah. also COVID making it quite awkward for us but um but we you know we have not found it that easy to recruit or to get people to come to ireland and relocate here because of, well in some ways that's COVID is just not helping at all no. and what i find is you know we, we had a team meeting a few weeks ago and to be honest it was over a weekend but really their whole weekend was taken up with trying to get the test to get back to the airport because you know, it's all complicated now and they had to find test centers and I thought, why would anyone go anywhere unless they have to now mm-hmm. for a few days? Because it is just such a pain. And literally, they, they were even during their meals and they were trying to concentrate and everything. They were trying to get uh, PCR tests and f- find a location and then find out the regulations. Is it 20? Is it 24 hours? It's 70, you know. So yeah. it's just become very complicated travel. And it's a moving picture as well because you, you just get the rules nailed down and suddenly yes. they've all changed again. Ah, it's yeah, it's a nightmare for recruiters right now, and it's not much better for those being recruited. Moving on a little bit, I mean, most of your survey respondents, I think it was seventy-eight percent, agreed that in the next ten years, half or more of what they do in their daily work will be enhanced by robots. What types of robot deployment do you think are most likely to be benefiting humanity first? Yeah. 81% 81% agree that in the next five years, a quarter of what they do will be enhanced by robots. And almost 80% agree that robots will be deployed across your organization to enhance most business functions, you know, from sales to human resources. But they stated manufacturing and assembly is 33%. And then hospital and patient care was 26%. And then earth and space exploration is where they next seem that maybe robots would be deployed to benefit humanity as well. But and of course we're seeing the rise of the you know the rumbas now, the the home robots and they're becoming a lot cheaper and they're quite efficient, you know, really are good. And I think most homes will have um, robot vacuums in the future just by yeah. default. And which brings us to the question of how you make that secure. Well it's like anything, it's connected yeah, I mean robots robot vacuums will also be hijacked in the future and used for botnets. Anything which has an IP address, which is connected to the internet, can be compromised, of course. And I haven't seen the robot attack. You know, we've seen everything else being compromised from the ring doorbells to baby cam monitors. And yeah. these are using botnets, of course. So that's the thing about the IoT market, again, that manufacturers have no onus on them to provide a roadmap of updates. And they go for a quick book. They release something cheap. They sell it. But there, there is no up, up, updates coming. And people forget about them. And they use the default passwords. But they have been taken over by so many botnets, again, that... One of the leading cybersecurity journalists in the world is Brian Krebs, and his website was put under an enormous um, denial of service attack a number of years ago. And that was all mm-hmm. mostly um, monitors and baby cam stuff that was compromised because a lot of this hardware can't even run some of the stronger crypto. Um, but again, that there is inklings of a law coming in, and California wasn't the first ones to say that you might have seen in the UK as well, we're moving to that they're preventing any devices to be sold in the future from having a default password, a static key that is sure that every device that's manufactured in the future should have a unique password on that. And that's a good move. 
It's a good move. It's one that, I mean, now we see it, it looks like um, a, a statement of the blindingly obvious and uh, we wonder how it was ever anything else, but uh, it is a good move. Kevin, that's really fascinating. Thank you so much for uh, telling us uh, about the survey. Where can people find out more about this if they want to? Yeah, well, they can visit the IEEE.org um, website and the reports are there. You know, they, they do a lot of reports, so they'll find it there on the main page, actually. And I was searching on the IEEE website earlier for the um, full name behind the abbreviation. Uh, what is it? And is it no longer used? Yeah, it's always been a long one, um, but it's the Institute of Electronic and Electrical Engineers. And it's been around since the early days. They, they predate really computers to some degree. Yeah. Um, again, it was electronic engineers back then working on analog devices again. And, you know, some of the most famous names in, um, in computer science and technology have been members of the IEEE. Yeah. Well, uh, it's a fascinating organisation with uh, really great uh, kudos. So thank you so much for sharing uh, your thoughts on that. Um, We've now got to that part of the podcast where we have uh, in What the Tech a chance to look at some of the lighter side, the amusing or amazing stories that uh, caught our eye as we looked around the technology market. Um, Kevin, what caught your attention? Mine was simply the app, which um, rewards free for people for picking up rubbish. So, you, you know, you walk around in the country and it was, it was made in Israel. So you walk around, um, you see any rubbish, you take a photograph, you tag the location. And of course, you collect the rubbish and you get rewards. Um, so it allows you to spend these in different outlets again. But it was just an example of um, an, an app which could take off around the world and it could make the world a bit cleaner. And it's gamifying rubbish cleaning. And that's not the worst thing ever. But um <laughs> You just reminded me of something. There actually is an app, believe it or not, for the iPhone, which can blow out a candle. And I've seen that (laughs) yesterday. It it does. You you put the mic at the bottom of your iPhone towards the camera and it literally blows air. Um, It uses high frequency sounds again. It's actually using high frequency sound waves. (laughs) I'm looking at the date and wondering, is this April Fool's Day? (laughs) I find that fascinating. Um, The story that uh, caught my eye was uh, in the Guardian newspaper in the UK, headline nuclear missile bunker, yours for less than 400k. So if you're struggling for uh, the ideal present, then uh, we think we may have the answer for you because uh, decommissioned nuclear silos are, well, one in particular is now being um, made available on the open market in the US, of course, accessed via a 40-foot staircase leading uh, to the underground missile station, uh, which was once home to the US's largest intercontinental ballistic missile ever deployed. I mean, apparently, one local newspaper has described this uh, bit of real estate as a mid-century fixer-upper, which I really like. Uh, But it's an underground bunker built to withstand a nuclear attack and ready to house house the firepower to retaliate. Um, It's in Arizona, if that uh, is important to you, and uh, I'm sure you can find it. It's very close to a US Air Force base. Apparently, the silo's owner uh, told the Arizona Daily Star newspaper that he was selling the property because he's bored. It has been suggested that there were various other potential buyers who might have gone for it. One wanted to open uh, a greenhouse for medical marijuana and another who planned to use it as a porn studio. Um, Your own use for this is entirely up to you. um, But I 
personally think I may be keeping the $400,000 in my pocket. Um, Kevin, what about you? Is that of interest to you? Is that on your wish list? I can see the uses for it because you can imagine how thick those walls are. And actually, there is a problem in computer science. Now, it doesn't affect most of us on a daily basis, but the cosmic rays can cause your blue screen of death, right? It's where a bit flips um, within memory. And um, NASA are well aware of this. Of course, the space shuttle has got four computers. or uh, If one of them has gone error, it takes the answer for the other three as being the, the ground truth. Um, and again, NASA are well aware that they've, uh, I think they've tracked a few hundred um, cosmic ray bit flips. A number of years ago, there was a, there was, um, a candidate in some country and she got 4,096 extra votes and they couldn't figure out what the hell happened. <laughs> but what it was, because that's a 248, it's a binary. Um, and um, what it was, it was a bit flip they worked out. It was a bit flip. And then there was a famous video online on YouTube where a guy is playing a game with his friend and it's all being recorded, of course. And then all of a sudden, he, he has jumped a level and he's going, well, you know, holy, holy God or whatever else. And the guy's laughing. And then a guy went and said, well, how did that happen? But one of the guys went back and reverse engineered the code, inserted a big flip into the place where he was with the coordinates. And lo and behold, he could recreate the cosmic ray bit flip, which caused the guy to move up to a different level. <laughs> mm. uh, well, if anybody is interested in seeing more about uh, the bunker that's available for sale uh premier media group have apparently created a 3d tour of the bunker which showcases pools of stagnant water and six thousand pound blast doors uh which can be closed with one hand um i'm i'm speechless i I don't know what to do with that information but um i'm probably not going to be in the market kevin what about you they for the bunker for the bunker i mean yeah i I mean it would be good data center there but (laughs) I just don't know the location, but again, you don't. Uh, location doesn't matter too much when it comes to data centers, really. But one of my favorite things to watch is Nazi megastructures on Disney Plus, and I am amazed how some of the bunkers they built, how tough they were. You know, like incredible over time. But of course, they would make great data centers too. You know? Yeah, well, I bet they don't have problems like I have with the domestic plumbing uh, falling apart so uh, maybe I should be looking at it. Kevin that's really fascinating thank you so much for uh, all your thoughts and thank you so much for joining us on the Trending Tech Podcast to share your expertise Welcome Jeremy, thank you Sadly that is all we have time for today, we'll be back with another Trending Tech Podcast very soon In the meantime, don't forget to like the podcast, not just to make us feel good but to help others find us. And wherever you find us today, we hope you'll find us again. Share us with friends. I've been Jeremy Cowan talking to Kevin Curran of IEEE and join us again soon for the next Trending Tech Pod. Bye for now. Trending Tech.